This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. Investigative conversations about issues that impact our lives. Be curious. Friday mornings at 9am, only on 101.9 High FM. And good morning to you all. This is indeed Brooke Spector. He's live and this is the Deep Dive and it's live too. Uh, and we are delighted, really pleased and privileged to have our guest this morning, University of Johannesburg Vice Chancellor, prof- Professor, Doctor, Rector, all kinds of titles. And he's soon to go off to the university, the UN University based in Tokyo, where he will be in charge of that entire organization. And this, of course, is Dr. Shilidzi Marwala. And we are really pleased to have him join us. By way of introduction, for those of you who don't know him or haven't come across his name yet, he's had a distinguished academic career that runs through some of the world's best universities, places like Case Western Reserve University in Harvard in the U.S., Cambridge in Britain. He has a list of publications that stretches for pages and pages, many of them authored by himself, some co-authored with other experts, uh, a whole roster of books. He's a globally recognized theorist and thinker on AI, artificial intelligence, but his work impinges on not just that topic in a pure sense, but on economics, on the full range of science. And I am fascinated to discover on poker in the science of bluffing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, no, uh, no. It's it's the work that uh, that we did with my 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 then master student, um, I think PhD student then, Doctor Evan Hewitt, where we were training. I mean, it's like um, fifteen years ago, we were training software agents to be able to act independently, to be able to take decisions on their own on playing poker. And we actually observed that they learn how to bluff without having been prompted to bluff, which was obviously quite uh, an interesting observation. They obviously passed the Turing test with flying colors. (laughs) You know, you see the Turing test, you have to do things um, consistently for you to pass it. Uh, 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 I think uh, um, statistically, you, you need to go quite extensively to be able to pass the Turing test. It's a very difficult test for machines to be able to, to pass, by the way. Uh, for those for those listeners who aren't uh, completely uh, current on what the Turing test is, it's named after Alan Turing, British mathematician and uh, specialist in, in such things, where he says that the idea of a mach- of how to put it best but you probably can explain it better than i can but uh, it basically says that if you interact with a, a machine and you genuinely don't know whether you are interacting with a machine or a human being then that machine is truly intelligent you know it has passed it turing test and it's learned how to bluff at poker and amass enormous wealth yeah, yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, it will not be able to go and get you a cup of tea, you know. And we call that uh, the general artificial intelligence, where we will have a machine, if, if, if it ever happens, that will be able to do much more things 
than the current machines are able to do. And that takes me to a to a question that I was going to save for later, but you've you you brought it up this way, and I think it's it, it's right on target. We hear a lot about uh, the Internet of Things. Uh, your refrigerator tells you, "Hello, you're out of milk, or you will be in the next six hours, or don't forget to get the butter, or the house is too warm, or whatever it is." Uh, is that artificial intelligence? Is that a machine? not only mimicking, but taking on the functions of what we normally think of as a sentient being or intelligence? Well, uh, normally on the Internet of Things, you normally have artificial intelligence in the background. Uh, Internet of Things is more than just artificial intelligence. It's basically uh, objects that are connected and that communicate with one another and interact with us as human beings. So I would imagine that um, for some complex Internet of Things, there is a great deal of data analysis that happens in the background, and much of that data analysis might be done using simple statistics, but it might also be done using artificial intelligence, depending on how complex that, 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 that the, the data you are dealing with is. So I would imagine that um, if... Um, if uh, your refrigerator starts predicting, it starts helping you where you can even go and shop where the best prices are for the milk that is about to run out in your fridge, uh, then, then, then it, it, it is becoming more intelligent. And there are many other factors that, uh, that it can incorporate. It can incorporate uh, your, your health and say, I think you are taking too much uh, you are taking too much sugar. Um, I'm going to limit the amount of sugar that you're going to buy. So uh, the, the, the sky is the limit. Uh, that sounds an awful lot like Asimov's three laws of robotics. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a, for those of you who, who aren't familiar with that, Isaac Asimov, the scientist, science writer, and science fiction author, came up with three laws of robotics, the idea being that as we move into a world where robotic devices are prevalent, the robot is not allowed to do anything that would bring itself into, into, into harm. Uh, it can't do anything which would bring humans in, into, into harm. And it can't do anything that, if I remember it correctly from my teenage years, uh, it cannot allow anything to happen to a human by virtue of its inaction. And so in this case, if it um, if it starts telling you, you're taking too much sugar, be careful, you have diabetes, it's the nanny state, but it's also doing, doing things for you. Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, I think the general idea uh, is that um, uh, the machine must actually protect a human being. And I think that is, um, the protection of human life is a very old, uh, um, old law that has been observed uh, across uh, century and and and, uh, and and countries. But of course, that does not prevent people from harming other people. So uh, now, when you have a machine, that does not um, necessarily uh, we don't we don't look at it as. Uh, as an entity that has free will, what does it mean? 
when 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 the machine now harms people who is uh, uh, responsible for that harm is that uh, is human agent the creator of the agent how about if it is evolving and it is becoming something else either than what uh, its human creator has uh, has made it these are these these are some of the ethical issues that uh, that are confronting this the world health organization sorry go ahead uh, go ahead yeah the world health organization has just developed guidelines and i was part of the team that developed those guidelines on the use of artificial intelligence in medicine because now robotics is coming is entering the operating rooms of our hospitals um it ai is now part of uh, the decision support systems for doctors uh, it is reading medical images and uh, observations are saying that it is reading medical images much much better than radiologists and of course uh, it is not human uh, and it can be held accountable and of course uh, because of that we have to have guidelines on 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 when do we deploy these machines and when do we uh, allow them to work with human beings uh, or and or when do we allow them to work uh, independently of human beings we're speaking with dr shidizi uh, marwala who is currently vice chancellor of the university of johannesburg and soon to jet off to tokyo to run the un university uh we're talking about the ethics of machines uh telling you that what's good for you and making sure you 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 behave properly and a machine has just told me that i have to read a commercial message so hang <laughs> just just be patient and we're going to tell people what's good for them this is the deep dive with Brooke Spector. And we are indeed and we are indeed back uh, with the deep dive and I'm Brooke Spector and I'm very pleased to have as my guest this morning Dr. Shalidzi Marwala who is Vice Chancellor University of Johannesburg and a whole list of other titles and a and a resume and a CV that goes on four pages uh, and an expert and a global participant of the great discussion about artificial intelligence. And he's on his way in a couple of months to head up the UN University based in Tokyo. Now, I want to change the discussion just slightly. You're obviously a STEM man, uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, bred to it rather thoroughly at this point, I suspect. But how do you reconcile the two cultures, and I'm, I'm sure you know the, the C.P. Snow, the famous lecturer, the two cultures essay, which he lamented the great cultural divide that separates the two areas of human intellectual activity, science and the arts. As a head of a university, both now where you are and uh, in soon to be in Japan, how do you bring those two very different cultures together? without dismissing one of them or diminishing one of them? I think uh, what we ought to do is uh, to ensure that those people who are in the science and technology also at the same time study human and social sciences and vice versa. When I was at Case Western Reserve University uh, studying mechanical engineering uh, in the early 90s, and I had transferred from the University of Cape Town and I understood uh, the curriculum of the University of Cape Town. One of the first things that actually shocked me 
was uh, the requirement that even though I was studying engineering, I have to take human and social sciences. In fact, I had to take 12 semesters of human and social sciences. I took three courses in acting. I took a history course. I took five economic classes. I took uh, uh, psychology. So in artificial intelligence, now you have an algorithm called reinforcement learning. And I tell my engineering friends that the first time I learned about reinforcement learning was not in an engineering class. It was in my psychology class, Pavlov and his dogs, uh, the theory of reinforcement. So uh, uh, our education must become much, much more multidisciplinary. And what have we done here at the University of Johannesburg? One of the things that we have done here is to introduce two compulsory subjects for all our students. The first compulsory subject is the Africa Insights module, where our students, all of them, are expected to learn about uh, African literature, African economy, and African politics so that they can be able to understand. And these are much more on, 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 on the social science. Of course, the economic part does uh, straddle into um, technology. And the second course, uh, Artificial Intelligence for the Fourth Industrial Revolution, is uh, also a compulsory course for all of our students. Not a technical course. It is a literacy course because we just want them to be literate enough to be able to understand what is this technology, what does it do? What are some of its uh, advantages? What are its disadvantages? So that we can be able to prepare for any negative aspects that can flow out of this technology. So multidisciplinary education is really the education of the 21st century. And countries that do not adopt it in their schooling system, in their university systems, they are actually going to fall behind. I wish I could take those two classes. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Well, I mean, uh, the, the artificial intelligence for the fourth industrial revolution is actually free. Uh, we will send you uh, and everybody. Um, I know um, uh, 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 judges who have taken it, and they are absolutely very, very uh, delighted uh, that they have taken it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious because I mean, I, I did an experiment of my own in my undergraduate studies. Uh, one one semester, I simply took courses, all of which had the same number in front of them. So sociology 121, history 121, and, and so forth. I, and my argument was simply, look, it's a university. That means all of knowledge. If I mm -hmm. pick anything, it's going to be helpful to me in creating a better educated person. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and it was actually a fascinating semester because between the sociology of race and the history of science, uh, these were things that I ordinarily might not have gone and done, but it, it made me think and it gave me a whole list of readings that mm -hmm. I hadn't continents doing before. I salute you for doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask a friend at, at UJ for the, for the syllabus so that I can, I, I can do the readings. Absolutely. Um, let, let me ask you this. Um, you're, 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 you're in the world of academia in South Africa, but you, you, you've obviously thought a lot about the society and the country that you and I live in, and so, so too many of our listeners. We have a huge mess on our hands right now uh, with our electrical supply. Do you have any recommendations, any suggestions, any urgent ideas that if people 
are in charge of things that they should write these things down? What would you tell them to do first? What do you well, recommend? First, no, firstly, I think one thing that we need to appreciate is that ESCOM has a technical problem. It has a technical problem. And if you look at its uh, staff complement, it does not nearly have enough engineers to be able to tackle its problems. You can look at the board, you know, just the board of Telco, no ESCO, no Telco, ESCO. It actually does not have a single engineer on the board. And of course, it is confounded by the fact that uh, the, the chief executive officer is also not an engineer. So you can imagine, I just think of a car that is broken down and uh, it is being fixed by people who are not mechanics. None of them are mechanics. They have no knowledge of mechanics, certainly not, uh, not advanced knowledge of mechanics. I think that's the first thing that they need to do. The second thing that needs to be done, because we know what happened at uh, Telco, at ESCO. I think uh, Midupi and uh, Kusile, which are super critical power stations. It's one of the few um, super critical power stations which operate at higher temperatures than um, conventional uh, power stations. Now, the problem with supercritical power stations is that you require pre precision engineering. Little, uh, it, has, it has low tolerance for errors. And as a result of that, and of course it's just in addition to the corruption that probably happened around Midupi and Kusile, they are not really fully, uh, fully in operation. And that is after we spent 450 billion rands. You can imagine, you go and buy an asset for 450 billion rands. And um, I don't know how many years later, and maybe 10 years later than it was supposed to be um, commissioned, uh, you are not able to use that. Then you have trouble. And then, then of course, we need to deal with issues of, um, of um, procurement. We know about um, uh, 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 we know about uh, water, you know, uh, uh, water that are being charged a hundred times the, the price at uh, at Escom. So we need to deal with that. And then the th the, the, uh, the last thing, we need to have a rational maintenance strategy. You see, in maintenance theory, you have three three philosophies of maintenance. The first one is called run to failure. Run to failure is that whatever in infrastructure you have, you're gonna run it until it fails. We do it in our homes. The, the light bulb in your home, you run it until it fails. And then when it fails, you go and change it. You will agree with me that you can't do the same with the, the elevator cable. Because if you do that with an elevator cable, when it fails, it probably is going to kill people. And the second uh, uh, maintenance philosophy is scheduled maintenance, which means you will say, after six months, I'm going to replace this elevator cable. Of course, that elevator cable probably is still in good condition. But if you don't do that, you might encounter an instance where it is going to snap. And then the third one, which is uh, predictive maintenance, artificial intelligence is at the core of this, 
where you are able to predict when things are going to fail and then replace them in time, procure the replacement in time. And I think that is what ESCOM is supposed to do. They are running almost everything to fail, to failure, uh, um, instead of scheduled maintenance and, and so on and so forth. Why are you going to Tokyo? Why aren't you putting your hand up and saying, please let me fix ESCOM? <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, going to, to Tokyo, Brooks was, it was, uh, it was, uh, <clears throat> it was a it was a tricky journey that I had to go through over over the last um, uh, two years. Uh, I'm I'm going to be the third South African uh, to be appointed at the level of Under Secretary General of the United Nations, basically being uh, on the cabinet of the Secretary General. Uh, we had Pillay, uh, who uh, Judge Pillay, who was uh, the Commissioner of Human Rights, right. and. We and uh, Dr. Pumzile Mlambonuka, who was the head of UN Women. And now right. uh, I, I am going to, to head one of the 22 um, uh, agencies of, of the United Nations, uh, uh, the third Undersecretary General. And many people were saying to me, aren't you leaving? You are leaving South Africa, you are leaving us. We have lots of crises. And my answer has always been, I am going to serve the world. There are many, many, many problems that our world is confronting. Problems of interstate conflict as we see in Europe now, the war between Russia and effectively the Western world. Uh, there are issues of poverty. There are issues of uh, unemployment that is being exacerbated with the rapid um, rapid um, automation of our production, issues of health, issues of quality education that we know too well here in South Africa, issues of equality, issues of, uh, of secure but uh, renewable energy and sustainable uh, water and, uh, and, and sanitation, uh, issues of uh, industrialization. All these are very, very fantastic uh, problems so I'm going to Tokyo to be the rector of the United Nations University. I'm going to Tokyo because the headquarters are in, in Tokyo. Um, the, this agency is hosted by, by Japan, but it is in, in more than, it, 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 it has presence in, 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 in more than 20 different countries, but it has institutes uh, in 12 different countries. Germany, Finland, uh, Portugal, Netherlands, Malaysia, China, Venezuela, United States, Canada, Ghana. So uh, it is an exciting opportunity and I'm looking forward to, to going to the world and change the world for the better. Because we have to understand that uh, revolutions can be negative and revolutions can also be positive. And as responsible uh, citizens and people, we must ensure that whatever we do, we should contribute towards bringing more positivity into the world. I like that. I, but I still hope that you are going to be in a position to offer advice, wise counsel, and some practical suggestions 
to those of us left here who are contending with uh, an, an electrical system that seems to be bluffing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I like the way you put it. It seems, be, it seems to be bluffing because the people who are supposed to oversee it, whether it is the political class, in fact, it starts at the political class, are either blind or they do not know what they are dealing with. I hope people are listening to that. We're speaking to Professor, Dr. Vice Chancellor, Rector, soon to be, Shalizi Mawala, uh, now at the University of Johannesburg and soon to be in Tokyo. And we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back to finish our conversation with the professor. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And we are, in fact, back live, and this is The Deep Dive, and I'm Brooke Spector, and we're speaking with uh, Professor, Dr. Vice Chancellor, University of Johannesburg, and soon to be Rector of the UN University based in Tokyo, Shilidzi Marwala, uh, who is a man of many talents, not the least of which I keep... I, I keep uh, Brooks, by that I can't let that one go. But uh, let me... Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, univer the university you're going to in Japan, UN University. It's an unusual kind of place. Um, they don't seem to have a lot of undergraduate students. They have researchers and they have uh, investigators of various topics and, and subjects and collaborative and cooperative research engagements around the world. Um, but they're not in, in the what we used to think of as the basic one of the basic tasks of a university, which is to pass a body of knowledge on to the new generation. Um, it, tell me a little bit about this, this process, this theory. Yeah, no, look, I mean, uh, the, the University of uh, the United Nations University was uh, initially established 50 years ago as a think tank for the United Nations. So what it was supposed to do was to do research that is to the benefit of the agenda of uh, the United Nations. And of course, uh, that has worked quite well. Uh, and at the same time, it was involved in short programs uh, uh, to advance the goals of the United Nations. One of those would be governance. You know, uh, how do you get uh, uh, countries where governance is not strong? Uh, how do you train their civil service, service on, on a short-term basis so that they can be able to understand some of the core principles of, of, of governance? And then later on, it evolved uh, to have master's and doctoral qualifications in areas that uh, are to the interest of the United Nations, peace and security, sustainable uh, development, materi uh, sustainable materials, uh, global health, uh, ICT, uh, uh, basically biotech, um, water, uh, energy, uh, um, and sanitation. So that is what, that is what uh, this university is all about. What, what am I going to do there? 
I think one of the first things that I am going to do as uh, the director of this university is for this university to become a core in a network of global universities from both the global south and the global north uh, to a network that tackles sustainable development goals, which are important goals uh, um, of, of the United Nations, uh, tackle issues of interest to all of us. You know. uh, the second thing is uh, to you that I'm going to do is to use these new technologies of the fourth industrial revolution, artificial intelligence, internet of things, to augment and expand these universities' offerings. Uh, what, what, what does it mean? It means that you can register for the master's degree online and be able to be supervised by somebody who comes from, let's say, South Africa and somebody who say, uh, come from, let's say, Finland, you know, uh, 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 and, 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 um, and in, in so doing, we create a platform where global problems can genuinely be solved. Well, I'm not saying global problems cannot be genuinely be solved in a national university. We just understand that national universities sometimes have national self-interest and something that is above national self-interest is desirable. It's also desirable if we are to solve some of the complex problems uh, that we face. And the other thing that uh, I am going to do as director of the United Nations is to elevate its stature in terms of Quite frankly, I did not know about this university six years ago, you know. And I think with clever marketing, and the best way of marketing yourself is to do things, to be involved, to solve things that are relevant, that are important, that have impact. Uh, and and that's, that's the third thing that uh, I'm going to do when I am at the United Nations University. In, in a sense, we're lucky because uh, we, we served in Japan for a number of years and we knew some people involved with that university headquarters in Tokyo, but it was, it was admittedly hard for even somebody who knew about the place to be able to get a handle on the actual work it was doing. One of the things that I think will help you, and I, I'm sure you've thought about it a great deal already, is making use of our current te uh, technology of communication to get the information, to get the knowledge, to get the, the studies out to as wide an array of people globally. Uh, I mean, I've, I've known for, I've noticed for a while now that many of the scientific journals are no longer even being printed. They're all collaborative works on the internet and people participate in the pre-publication stages, the the, the uh, pre-review stages, the the review stage, and by the time it's it's published, very short period of time has taken place, and dozens of people may well have already been involved in examining and peer examining and thinking about an article and preparing responses. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's very different than the way it would have been when when you first started your university career, in which time seemed to go rather slowly on these things. No, no, absolutely. I think I think we live in an era 
where the flow of information is so fast. And of course, it poses all sorts of challenges that we must be cautious in our conduct in what we, we say or do, because uh, what we say can reach much more people today than it would otherwise have reached um, just um, 15 years ago. You know? And I think in this new era, we can amplify our voices on important issues that are for our common interest, you know, issues of uh, energy security in South Africa, for example, issues of unemployment, issues of, uh, of, of, of peace and security, uh, uh, issues of, uh, of um, human rights, uh, issues of, uh, of um, development, sustainable development. So uh, I am actually quite excited to be going to, to, to Japan. Uh, I, have, I have visited many, many times Japan. Uh, I used to have a research collaborator uh, at the University of Keio in uh, Ohama. And uh, I am I'm excited. We're going to take a break here for just a second. Uh, the, once again, AI has told us that we have to take this break. We have commercial messages, station identification, and we'll be right back with our finishing up our conversation with uh, Professor Shadidzi Marwala, soon to depart these shores uh, to head up the UN University in Tokyo. This is the deep dive with Brooke Spector. And we are back wrapping up our conversation with Professor Shalidzi Marwala, currently Vice Chancellor at the University of Johannesburg, uh, but soon to depart to become the head of the UN University. Now we come to the final segment and we're gonna do a language lesson. We're gonna we're, we're gonna provide the the basic tools that you need to be successful <laughs> in your first meetings. When, yeah. you, first, when you first meet your your host, your colleagues, uh, your uh, your staff, uh, you'll want to say to them, Hajime Mashte, Watashi wa Shilizi Marwala de Gozaimas. Can you repeat slowly? You are speaking very quickly. There are courses you can do online now. Hajime Mashte. Hajime Mashte. Hajime Mashte. It means I'm it's good to meet you. I am honored to meet you. Hajime Mashte. Hajime Mashte. Mashte. Very good. And uh, when someone does uh, something nice for you and you have to say thank, Arigato Gozaimashta. Arigato Gozaimashta. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, and what you want to say, uh, in response, uh, you'll want to say Kochira Koso. Uh, Kochira Koso. Well done. You get an A. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I am really looking forward to learning Japanese. One of the first things that I'm going to do when I'm in Japan is to get a tutor, a Japanese tutor, just to show me about, um, just to teach me how to speak Japanese. I've been reading quite extensively. Now I'm in my fourth book on Japan. I read History of Japan 
I, I read the book called Bushido. I am now reading a book, um, the, the, uh, the, the, the biography of uh, Emperor Hirohito. Hirohito. Mm -hmm. so, so I am really enjoying the culture. And then I read the book on Confucius. Uh, as you know, um, Confucius is uh, is one of uh, the, the the important. Um, there are three this, there are three aspects of the Japanese culture: the Shinto religion, Zen Buddhism, which obviously uh, Buddhism originated from from um, from India, and um, Confucius, which originated from China. So, of course, it is a modified Confucius in Japan. Mm -hmm. So I am reading as much as possible so that I am able to understand and enjoy the Japanese culture. Uh, and I'm looking forward to this. Well, I, I, there are lots and lots of really good materials to read about Japan. Um, one, if you're going to get a tutor and I, uh, in language, and I, I let me give you just one, uh, humbly, one suggestion. Do not get a middle-aged woman tutor because you will end up like I, I did, where I spoke very respectable, proper Japanese, suitable for being an older woman of low status, talking to, <laughs> talking to the head of a major corporation. People <laughs> always wondered why my language was, why I sounded so much like, a, like that. Um, and it, it took a while to become to reach the realization that there, there are not only levels of politeness, there are also levels of friendship and there are levels of relationship in the language. And if you can understand that without necessarily doing them all, you are going to be a, a marvel at the language. Um, you'll find lots of Japanese who are eager to show you their ideas and information on the things that you're working on, whether it's the uh, whether it's the AI robots who uh, will you know who will politely give you directions wherever you are, uh, the, the country is fascinating. I, I envy you going. I'm really looking forward to it, uh, uh, and uh, and I'm looking forward to going there as um, as the high-ranking representative of the United Nations. And I am going to represent all of us well. Well, we have been speaking with uh, Professor Shalidzi Marwala, who's currently the Vice Chancellor at the University of Johannesburg, but he's soon to move on to Japan, where he will get off the airplane, he'll look at his host, and he will say, Hajime Mashite, and people will be astounded. And I want to Arigato. thank you. Arigato gonzaimashita. Well done, goodness. We wish you. you success, and we, you. we we look forward to hearing about all the different things you're going to do once you get there. Thank you very much. This has been Brooke Spector with The Deep Dive at High FM, and we were speaking with the good professor, and next week we will have yet other guests. And for those members of our audience uh, who observe uh, the Jewish holidays, have a good Rosh Hashanah and the, the High Holy Day season. And we'll be back next week with another program.